Hello and welcome to an all new episode of Pilot Season. This is episode number six. I am your host, Kente, all the way live from Los Angeles, California. And I'm joined by my wonderful co-host. I'm going to start off with uh, uh, Tori. How are you doing, Tori? I'm good. Yay, Uh, I love David Lynch. So this was super awesome to watch. (laughs) All right. Tori, who gets all the glory. (laughs) All right. And then we have... Renee, who's always doing a okay. <laughs> yeah, I can say, well, for this one, I remember watching Twin Peaks, but I didn't remember the pilot at all. So I guess I'm the Twin Peaks version. <laughs> all right. And we have Jen, who Don't always. Don't you dare wins. call me a hen. Don't you call me a hen. Jen, who always wins. <laughs> I, I, I like I like Renee, uh, even though I love this show. I'm a huge fan. I forgot a whole bunch of stuff. So mm-hmm. rewatching it was, mm-hmm. it actually opened my eyes to a bunch of things. I am so glad we're doing this show. I love yeah. it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And last but not least, Olaf, who always reaches his goals off. <laughs> oh, that was bad. Uh-huh. <laughs> you got to work on your rhyming skills, there, bro. <laughs> well, if you had a name that was easier to rhyme, <laughs> we'll just use Captain instead of Olaf. <laughs> it's like, uh, I don't know. Uh, well, I'm going to take the title of uh, Twin Peaks uh, Virgin from. Uh, Renee, because I don't, I don't remember ever really watching mm. the the series or anything like that. So <laughs> I, I'll, I'll go with, uh, you know, watch the, you know, watch that, and that's that's it. I'm I'm gonna be the Twin Peaks Virgin. <laughs> All right, Virgin, ding ding ding, Virgin. virgin, virgin. <laughs> All right, so Twin Peaks, one of my favorite shows of all time, created by Mark Frost, uh, David Lynch. Um, this show for a lot of reasons is like the big change in television mm. came because of Twin Peaks. You can actually you can actually see like the the um the big shift in television and it was because of the show Twin Peaks. Uh before really before this show there was um that debuted in nineteen ninety by the way. Um, there was TV, then there were movies, and it was a huge difference. I mean, it's still a difference, but um, uh, okay. Uh, sorry about that. Just making sure I have it. Um, so it was definitely a big difference in um, television before and after Twin Peaks, and oddly enough. I would probably say the great, the, the direct descendant of Twin Peaks we're going to review next week, which is The X-Files, yeah. which was like the next evolution in television. And um, in a lot of ways, even though they weren't connected as far as, um, uh, besides um, David Duchovny, who's, um, who's the star of The X-Files, did have a small part in Twin Peaks. But uh, definitely you can see, you can see a line going through there. So uh let me uh pull up hold on a second you would think i would have done it before we started 
pull up some information. So like I said, uh, Twin Peaks is a, a one-hour drama. It was on ABC, uh, and it ran for 48 episodes. Oh, including season three, which was, they did a revival. Uh, the original run, though, was 30 episodes, and it ran from... Uh, um, it ran from April 8th, 1990, all the way to June 10th, 1991. So for a show that had such a big a big um, impact, it really had a short run. And it was a meteoric run as well, uh, the show Twin Peaks. So Twin Peaks, uh, I guess we should get into is essentially what the show is about. Twin Peaks is the show that follows the investigation uh, uh, the murder investigation of a um, of the the homecoming queen of a small town, Twin Peaks. Uh, Laura Palmer, at the very beginning of the of the series, is found wrapped in plastic on the shores in front of the Packard Mill, and this kicks off a string of events. And uh, Agent Dale Cooper, played by Kyle McLaughlin, is sent in from the FBI to to be to take over as the lead investigator and what you find in twin peaks yes the the main story is is trying to find out who murdered laura palmer but you find out that this small americana um town has a lot of demons there's a lot of people sleeping with somebody's wife somebody's husband there's uh drug deals there's prostitution. There's a whole, there's this whole underbelly in the town of Twin Peaks, which, from an outsider, you may think is you know this uh, you know uh, this uh, picturesque town. So let's go over who stars in this series. Um, of course, I said Kyle McLaughlin. Uh, 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 McLaughlin is a star. Uh, Cheryl Lee who plays uh, the dead body. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Laura Palmer, uh, who, who does play another character in, going forward, uh, plays a, the uh, twin cousin of Laura Palmer, uh, you know, identical cousin. Uh, identical cousin. Uh, Matchek Amick is in his Dana Ashbrook, Laura Flynn Boyle, uh, and more and more. Joan Chen, who was um, who had a big career, uh, is the opening shot too. You see her on in the series. So, I think a good thing to start off with. Uh, we'll start off with you, Jen. Uh, David Lynch, who at this point, you know, did The Elephant Man, Eraserhead. I believe he did Blue Velvet already by this point. Um, you know, he's a what they call a auteur director. And for a guy of his ilk to go to television in, you know, the late 80s, which were really debuted in 1990, was a huge deal. And initially, Twin Peaks was supposed to be a, a movie. Mm -hmm. And um, so this pilot was a movie, and um, but it became a series. So I want, I want you to, uh, Jen, to kind of give the audience a little bit on your own take on David Lynch, the the creative force. Um, <clears throat> boy, that's a pretty big order, but I, I think maybe in this context, uh, I think what she said was actually pretty spot on. David Lynch, it, 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 first of all, 
I think in order to understand this, which maybe there is a little bit of context necessary if you don't know it, back in the early 90s um, and even up to really uh, 2000 or so, it was sort of inconceivable that you would move from building movies, from directing big budget movies to moving into television because it was seen as kind of a step backwards. Like there was more prestige to building movies, directing uh, movies, producing movies than there was in having anything to do with television, which was seen as a little bit more of a, um, what's a good word for that? Um, it was more constrictive, right? There was, we didn't have prestige television at the time. It didn't exist. And so the stuff that was on was a little bit more procedural, uh, a little bit more rote in its sort of every episode has kind of its own repetitive motion. So first act, second act, third act will roughly follow the same kind of train. Um, and David Lynch uh, really upended that with Twin Peaks. Um, first of all, every episode feels very much like uh it belongs at a museum. It is just so breathtakingly art-directed. Um, and I mean, obviously that is very intentional, but it also lends itself to the, the kind of accolades that it got, which are that it feels like it's Hitchcock, that it feels like it's, like it's important, not just for the story. The story is good. And in the pilot episode, we get to see a lot of the story unfolds. But more than that, I think that David Lynch set up a kind of expectation with this first episode that is exceptional because, number one, it really hadn't been done before. And number two, this is the kind of experience that people had when they went to see a movie in the theater, not just sitting for an hour at home watching TV. Um is one of the things that I can say about David Lynch that is, um, this is, no one will ever be able to figure out David Lynch, right? I mean, inside of his brain are just things that I feel like are random tangents of stuff. But if there was one work that kind of is the David Lynch, it is Twin Peaks. This is quintessential David mm -hmm. Lynch. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so that was very well said, by the way. Uh, all right, so let's kind of get into the the overall plot line, which I kind of I, I kind of um, laid out for it. For it is, um, you know, we have the, the the death of Laura Palmer, and I think one thing that this show does that is excellent in this pilot is it really shows how the death of a um of a in a small town of someone that everybody knew and had a connection with hey, can really affect the town and not just you know in tech you know and um the the psyche of the town and you really see that in the very beginning of the series you see how the students reacted and even the principal is in tears and and whatnot uh i'm gonna go go to you renee um what did you think about how you know, just the way the town reacted when they found out about Laura Palmer's death. Oh, you're on mute, uh, Renee. You're I was going to thank you. 
I was gonna say, um, watching the show before but not remembering anything. Um, and I, I kept saying, I, this town must be smaller than I guess I thought it was, but because everybody was so distraught, not knowing what happened, they just knew something happened and they hadn't even really heard she was dead. It was just, I guess you kind of assumed that's what happened to her. So it was interesting how they showed, I guess, the like the best friend and the boyfriends and whoever else, um, their reaction as the show went on. So, yeah, 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 yeah. That was really good. Uh, what about you, uh, Tori? Uh, I really liked how, um, how they did the different camera angles because before, mm-hmm. like, television, like, didn't really have like the. I guess it's his artistic side that Jen was saying, like his camera angles and how he he uh, saw the murder. You know, I don't think anything any show before that like covered like the actual murder, like from the beginning to the interrogations and all that stuff. Like it was the first of its kind, and I think that um, David Lynch himself is he. He, this was his baby, I think. Mm. This was his like, this was his nest egg. Like he really took this out under his wing. Not that he didn't do it with his other works, but this was his like, his, uh, his, his precious, if you want to say that. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny because uh, uh, Jen would appreciate that that reference. <laughs> oh, for sure. I, I love I love Lord of the Rings. Yeah, so. pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Olaf, you saw the uh, the the beginning um, when they found the body and whatnot. Right. Yeah. That yeah like so, that. You know, and you're in a small town, so you I don't know. You might be able to relate to a certain degree about um, about how something like that can affect mm-hmm. a small town. Right. Well, yeah. Like I said. It, in the beginning, like the guy's getting ready to go out, go he's getting ready to go out and go fishing, and you know, all mm-hmm. of a sudden he sees something laying there, and you know, come find out, you know, like I said, it's the home homecoming queen, and mm-hmm. the uh, the guy comes out to take the pictures, and he can't do it, <laughs> he can't get through it, he can't, he can't get through it, you know, and then <laughs> the that's like then yeah. they they are taking the pictures, and then roll her over, and then it's like. You know, kind of like in in the uh, it's like in the back of my mind when they rolled her over and pulled the plastic back, you, you got that dunk dunk dunk. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, <laughs> they're like going, "Oh, it's homecoming queen." <sighs> yeah. So, I, it's it's it started out good, and like uh, Tori was mentioning about the different camera angles, and you had said that it started out to be a movie, and they turned it into a TV series. Is that right? Yeah, it was it was yeah. something to that effect that they well, uh, yeah th- that would explain the different camera angles because it was being started to be shot yeah. as a movie instead of being a TV series. You, you know, I'm I'm going to interject just a little, and I'm sure nobody is uh, nobody even asked me for this question, but I'm going to answer it anyway. So, uh, one of the things that I think about Twin Peaks that was unique and ingenious was the use of camera angles and the Mm. uh, ability for David Lynch to see subject matter outside of the normal rule of basic TV aspect ratio, right? Because on a small screen, 
you actually have a different aspect ratio than you do on a big screen. And so camera angles matter because when you want your subject matter to line up inside of that golden piece, the, the golden sort of center, but off center, um, what you're looking for is something a bit different on the big screen than you are on a small screen. But what David Lynch was able to do was capture the big screen feeling by using separate camera angles on the small screen. So mm. television became this immersive experience during Twin Peaks, which we really hadn't had before. And that was all due to some really excellent direction and kind of technical genius behind the scenes. So I didn't mean to interrupt. I just wanted to throw that out there because I feel no, like as we talk mm -hmm. about that, that's super important. That's, that's a good interjection. Yeah. Yeah, good, um, good to know. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no. It's very, very well, well good said. And um, one thing that I always talk about is the this uh, notion of iconic imagery. And um, I think the best works it, have iconic imagery. And this this image right here mm -hmm. is so iconic to this show, and it really speaks to what you're going to get get in this you know this program. Even though, you know, there is something, I don't know that a body would look like that. I think um, I'm getting feedback from somebody. Oh, I, oh it's you, uh, Renee. Um, uh, even though, you know, I don't know if this was how a body would look wrapped in plastic, but there's something where it looks angelic, you know what I mean? And there's yeah. something about this image that I remember seeing it as a, as a young person when this came out in, in 1990, so I was really young uh i was like maybe 13 14 or something to that effect and i remember like just this piercing into my my head you know this of this you know wrapped in plastic and then then um uh um martel says uh she's dead she's wrapped in plastic you know which really doesn't make sense that you would call the police and just say that but <laughs> you know but but i i think that I don't think it was meant to be realistic because I, I, if I remember correctly, David Lynch said one time that it's more important. No. Okay. I'm sorry. It was, um, he was quoting, um, Stanley Kubrick who said, it's more important to be interesting than factually accurate. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. So, so, no. uh, and he, he, he's cut from that same cloth. When you showed that picture, that's the other thing that I kind of noticed. Is like, on that doesn't look like a real dead body. I mean, that doesn't. No, you're a dead body that's been in the water doesn't look like that. And it, yeah, it, it so looked pretty. like she was. Yeah, it looked like she just kind of was asleep. Just went to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this, but the, this, the pilot actually, this is one of the things that, as we get into this, is so interesting. That first of all, she is beautiful death. Right. Mm. And and I think that in especially in the pilot, that is important for us to remember because she isn't just any person in town. And I'm not saying that, like, you know, she's the mayor. I'm saying that the irreverence with which she was treated as this beautiful prom queen was heinous enough for everyone to have a reaction to it 
And that also is one of those sort of subtle nuance things that David Lynch does where every scene, every shot always has some kind of extrapolated meaning, which I love. Yes. And um, uh, Renee, just unmute when you talk and just mute when you, until we figure it out. All right. So that was uh, definitely uh, something that I wanted to get in, into is that, that image. And if you notice, there's, there's something that's slightly off about the town, right? People yeah. act in a funny way. They speak in a, in a funny way. And right. So, and there's so many great characters that populate this series. And um, I'm not going to do like we did on, on our last episode, because there's just too many characters to, uh, to go through. But, um, you know, we'll just kind of, um, we'll just kind of run through uh, some of the things that we, um, we see in there. Uh, now, uh, when you're dealing with the death of a child, right? Cause she was 17 years old. She's almost an adult. Um, there's a lot there, right? Right. And then you find out that this prom queen wasn't, you know, that she had her demons as well, right? Right. And, um, you know, so now you're dealing with something on like a whole other level of, uh, of um, you know, I don't want to, oh, by the way, I'm not going to spoil anything. So if anybody's watching and they're wondering, you know, like, oh, I hope they're not going to say who killed Laura Palmer. We're not going to get into that. Um, and, uh, so we're not going to spoil it. We're just going to focus on the, the pilot and just talk about a little bit about, you know, the show going forward. And, um, but, um, but, you know, this, but she did have a very troubled life. And um, this show really does a great job of uncovering her troubled life. And uh, so let's, let's kind of get into some of the characters. Uh, first, we have Agent Dale Cooper, who, um, let me see if I can find even though he doesn't, he doesn't start out on the show uh, until a little bit later into the show. There we go. Oh, perfect, perfect image right there. Agent Agent Dale Cooper, who is such an interesting character because he almost comes off like Gilligan in a way, right? Uh, you know, he comes off maybe as a goofball, but then you find out no, he's very capable. Yep. You know, he's he's definitely. Uh, He's very intelligent. Yeah. Um, but then he doesn't let one thing that's great about his character, he's seen some of the worst things possible, but he still is like a nice person. You know what I'm saying? He still look, tries to look on the bright side of things. He he smells the trees, which I think is awesome. The whole thing about him and he's obsessed with what kind of trees that are s surrounding the Douglas firs. Right. And um, I want to go to you, Tori. Um, some of those ticks about him, the coffee and the uh, <laughs> the, the trees and the, yes. and the pie and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, can you talk to how you, you see that those things are intentional about, you know, his kind of mindset and stuff like that? Well, I think that he pays attention to detail, not only in life, but especially at his job, he needs to pay attention to detail. He's tracking killers, you know, like he has to 
figure them out. And so I think that they did a really good job of like showing that without telling without saying, oh, he's really good at his job. Like they did a good job of like having um the you know what I'm trying to say. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So uh I think that uh him being a little bit of a goofball too, a little bit of off-putting makes you like him, even though you shouldn't because, you know, he's the FBI agent and like most, most uh, law enforcement agencies, the city doesn't like it when the FBI agents come in because they take over the case and whatnot. So it's pretty cool too that he has the sheriff come with him wherever he goes. Right. And even 19, even though it's 1990s, uh, when the show premiered, Jen, doesn't it feel like the fifties a little bit in the town, yeah. and and even uh, Dale Cooper? Yeah, definitely it does. Also, uh, also just on on the idea of time. Um, so I mean, I I know roughly where they shot a lot of this. Um, but just that area, it just feels so timeless. Like, uh, yeah, there's lots of it's kind of it's like there's tons of sort of new quote-unquote new things around but there's something timeless about that era that or that area that just feels like you stepped out of a different era and walked into it and some of that i think personally is twin peaks has this kind of um grit like a little bit of graininess to it that makes it feel um scuffed and worn and it's it's super purposeful i mean obviously it's you know the colors are kind of muted and it's not uh vibrant in a lot of ways except for where it really needs to be um and i think that that adds to it and also it kind of you're right it adds to dale cooper's sort of um the feeling that he is from a world that is prior to the one that we understand him coming into right now which is great because i mean if you actually watch twin peaks later you'll learn a lot about his past and what it really means in in the pilot episode i think they they you're right they they kind of made him look a little bit bumbling at first but it's really obvious when he is telling the sheriff that the FBI is taking control of the crime scene or the they're taking control of the investigation. It's really obvious by the questions that he asks that he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right, right. No, no, yeah, definitely for sure. Um, Renee, let me ask you this question about Dale Cooper. What, what were some moments that stood out for you with Dale Cooper in this pilot? Uh, well, I think for me, the thing that I noticed right away was the tape recorder because as a writer i if i don't have paper then i pull my phone out and record everything so i could relate to him on that part so i always looked for the tape recorder and i think that made me kind of remember stuff about the show but i do like that part that he he is detailed and make sure he doesn't miss anything oh yeah diane he's always talking to diane yeah uh, yeah, yeah diane thank you <laughs> Yeah. So I did. I appreciate that, especially because of his job, and he has to catch all the details and not miss anything. So, right. And also, um, we have to point out that as the show goes on, every episode is one day in Twin Peaks. 
So, and that, I think that was confusing when it aired because people are like, the show's been on for months. Why haven't we got farther? But really the show, the in Showtime, it was only like a couple of, it was only like a week or two, you know? Mm, right. So, so, so that was like, people were like, they should have solved this case already, you know? So. Uh, it was we'll interesting get- you say that because it was, I can't remember who it was on the show. And I kept saying, oh, when they interviewed the boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And I think I said they're just interviewing him now. Wasn't that a long time ago? So it's it's interesting that you said that. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, all right. So that Dale Cooper, you know, is is a uh, fantastic character, and Kyle McLaughlin, who who's played, you know, uh, who's played uh, a lot of stuff in in uh, a lot of characters in um, in uh, David Lynch stuff. Is uh, sorry, content. I'm sorry, I was trying to pull up something. So, uh, yeah, all right, all right. Sorry about that. I think I'm, I was having uh, issues there, but uh, yeah, he's a great am, actor. Am I the only person who, um, when they went to the morgue, am I the only person? And, and this is backwards, right? Because I'm talking about watching this now because i haven't seen the pilot in a really long time but after all of the paranormal stuff that i have seen now am i the only person who when they went into the morgue and the lights were flickering thought oh are they trying to signal something supernatural because (laughs) because i think they were because seeing things now that's exactly what i thought yeah i think they were but but it's more of a trope now so like i think when we see it now we're like oh Supernatural, you know, right, but back instantly, then, right? But back then, it wasn't, you know, yeah, no, it was, it was just creepy back then, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Now, Sherilyn Finn, who plays Audrey Horn, okay, first of all, she does something in this episode that should have got her punch in the face. <laughs> yeah, I agree. There's the, one thing, <laughs> well, I mean, well, actually, a couple of things, but. The coffee when she put the fork in the uh, in the coffee cup, <laughs> I mean not uh, the fork, yeah. but, uh, the pencil, yes, and then she goes and pulled the, it out. It pulled it out. Oh my god! I would have, I would have, I would have stabbed her with that. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my god! I mean, and you really get to see how her character is in this yeah. pilot because she's very mischievous. Uh, she is um, definitely uh, a thorn in her father's side. Uh, <laughs> You know, and um, she's played very well, but um, I think she's a an actually a really fantastic character. But yeah, she'll she'll definitely get on your nerves. And it seems like she's what I get from the pilot is she really doesn't have any friends, not even in school. She's kind of a loner in a way, uh, and she just kind of is out there drifting aimlessly. So, uh, what about you, Tori? What did you think of uh, Audrey in this episode? Well, like when she first stepped out of whatever she was, it was a it was a car, like a town car or a limousine, or I don't know what it was. But she stepped out of it, and the guy closed the door, and she had all her like nineteen fifties garb on, you know, like she could have been in, um, she could have walked out of like any kind of, she could be going to any high school within the last. 50 years because of what she was wearing. It was very timeless, you know? So after that, you kind of see that she's, she's a troublemaker, but like, 
not she has shenanigans you know like she doesn't really like it's not it's not necessarily all bad like she's not like trying to you know stir the pot if you will i think she really misses her best friend i think that really this really hit home for her i don't think she's ever been through anything like this so um yeah yeah um what about you uh jane uh, audrey so okay so this is the classic uh too cool for school kind of character right she's she's super interesting but i i'm gonna sort of diverge a little bit from tori i i think of course the events really upset her but i feel like maybe they upset her because it hits too close to home like Mm -hmm. hey if this could happen to her it could happen to me too or it could happen to any one of us um and I feel like a lot of Twin Peaks is about this, uh, especially in the pilot, this identification that you make from the self to the town. That is the things that happen in the town, anything that happens in the town could happen to you. And I always found that so fascinating. I really liked that it, that she in particular seemed to embody the idea of uh, very average teen kind of person, but clearly something bigger happening under the surface. Yeah, and and once again, she has like a fifties type motif about her. You know, it's that's definitely the hair. Her right. hair is so cool. I really and like her in her shoes. Her shoes are straight out of the fifties too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's right. Yep, yeah, I think you're right. All right, and what about you, Renee? Um, if if she had pulled the coffee trick on you, oh, I would have punched her. <laughs> <laughs> and I know I would like if she had because that's the first thing I said when she poked a hole in the cup. I said she better not pull that pencil. And she was like, "What if I pull it out?" or whatever she said. So yeah, and I know I wouldn't have cleaned up the desk first. I would have hit her first or something like that. So it was interesting seeing what the lady did. Um, you know, when she did that, but you can tell she's a troublemaker, but she starts stuff, but I think she does it more for attention. And like you said, she's kind of a loner. So it's just like, I need to do something. So people pay attention to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, also, uh, we have the, uh, the sheriff <laughs> and, uh, Harry S. Truman. Who, oh my gosh. I think he's an awesome character. Uh, and, He's very understated. He plays it very well. And I love when his deputy is crying at the crime scene. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, go ahead. You know, he just kind of yeah, covers for it out. <laughs> Yeah, I know. He's awesome. Uh, awesome character. Uh, so in, in, any thoughts before I move on? Uh, there he is, Truman. I, I, I like the fact that he is able to, in this episode, in the first pilot, I love the fact that he's able to establish the fact that he is definitely the law, but he is so not willing, but like recognizes that he has to defer to the FBI and that the dynamic that that sort of creates is so interesting because that's got to be hard for someone who has you know, I, I'm the sheriff. These are, you know, this is my flock, basically. And then you have to give up stuff to this kind of goofy looking guy. Well, goofy acting guy who's talking about the trees and are these Douglas firs. 
that man that takes a big man to be able to do that i tell you yeah. I, think, I think also too with him like he does a good job of like uh he's one with the community he's not above the law you know sometimes police officers can act like they're above you like they have some sort of superiority complex but like he was really down to earth and he was like you know he played poker with these guys you know they're like they're friends and so this hit home for him too right right and then um so uh this character donna hayward played by laura flynn boyle i believe this is her first uh job uh very important character because she kind of connects everything together uh her best friend um laura palmer's best friend and uh really we get to see how tragic it is through not only her laura palmer's uh parents reaction to the news but donna's reaction before she's even told that uh she's dead she puts two and two together and that scene is so heartbreaking when you see you know um, her reaction and she has a, a very uh very interesting ride throughout this uh uh episode uh so um let's go with you renee uh what did you think about donna uh, i like how i guess because they're all in high school i like how they show their show their emotions and it's from their perspective and you know that like you said she realized something happened to her best friend and it's tragic and um she just you know she yeah i i just like how they show how she immediately loses it and you know you know her relationship with with laura right uh, and uh what about you uh jen Donna? um i i actually think that this is one of the coolest um devices that they use and especially well i guess we get a good feeling for it in the pilot um, it's such a slow unraveling uh, and it, it kind of almost feels like um, the conversation that we have, especially with her, is so slowly revealing toward all the little hidden secrets and little things that are happening. Um, one of the things that Twin Peaks does really well, and, and this character reminds me of that, is there is this idea that they used time and time again which is kind of like almost like a Hitchcock idea where when you think you know the truth dig deeper and so even when we think we understand what's happening and I feel like especially in the pilot because it doesn't it I mean obviously it's set up as a, as a mystery but I feel like you get little clues and then not those clues are important that we have well, you sound underwater Oh, sorry. Uh -huh. Is that better? Yeah, better. Um, I was just saying that I feel like we just have to keep digging deeper. And that's one of the things that this particular character does well is gives us the opportunity to dig deeper. All right. And uh, Tori, if you were Donna and you had the chance to go with the high school uh, football player or the uh motorcycle guy i'm, I'm assuming you probably <laughs> take the motorcycle guy yes absolutely yeah. absolutely he's so he's so sweet he's so sweet and uh with her <laughs> though like i think it's cool that she wants to justify she wants to she wants to find um 
she wants to find vindication for her friend you know like she's gonna she's gonna figure it out she's gonna figure out who killed her and i think that's that's what best friends should do you know so like i really like that about her but she was willing to like you know maybe break the law to get another clue yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> right right um now one thing we got to talk about is this score uh the score is just phenomenal and uh, definitely was very different than than uh, other shows up until that point. And from the main opening theme was awesome, as well as the, the different um, uh, themes that you got. And once again, there was a couple of a couple of the score um, sections had once again, that 50s feel to it as well with the little jazzy, you know, tune. And uh, I mean, I remember just being obsessed with the score when I was a kid, you know, uh, and and it's still great to hear the because um, I say I swear like they play the same four things throughout the show, you know, <laughs> the same yeah. the music. But I love it, though. It's it's awesome, though, you know, and uh, so. Uh, uh, let's start out. Let's go to you, Jen. What, how do you feel like the music, the score, impacts the telling the storytelling? Well, when it's supposed to be creepy, it's creepy. When it's supposed to be crisp, it's crisp. But when, but you're right. I think that there is a, a kind of almost. It's close. It's not really there, but there's there are these discordant notes underneath everything which to me always tell me um hey something is is not quite right like like when you hear music that is either offbeat or is like just off note which some of this soundtrack feels like it is it to me it is always saying hey uh pay attention here because something isn't quite right like actually listen or actually watch or whatever and i feel like twin peaks did a really good job of that also the other thing that twin peaks did good with is it always the music always seemed to line up with whatever was happening mm -hmm. on the screen and i'm not saying that like most television doesn't do that sort of just by default but i feel like a lot of television doesn't handle it as well um like somebody really walked through frame by frame to make sure that the that the percussion well that percussive pieces and that especially the the small sounds matched with whatever was happening on screen does that make sense no it makes perfect sense yeah 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 i mean i think it's i think it's a uh it's a masterful score and it like i said it doesn't it's not it doesn't feel dated at all who actually yeah. did the sound on this? Angelo Badalamenti, I think that's how you say his name. Mm, so okay, I actually didn't know that. Yeah, he's fantastic. He's worked with uh, David Lynch quite a bit. So, um, and one thing too, um, you know, David Lynch wrote and created this with Mark Frost. And Mark Frost, who deserves a lot of credit as well because like I love David Lynch, but David Lynch can be on another planet in his in his thinking, and I felt like Mark Frost, who was more of a TV guy, you know, 
done a lot of, you know, just regular TV programs. It felt like he kind of kept him closer to Earth than he normally likes to be, you know what I'm saying? So it was a great combo, you know, of, of the two. It was a great pairing. And also, uh, I feel like we need to say that back then, TV show dramas were either law, you know, uh, lawyer shows, doctor shows, cop shows, or soap operas like Dynasty. Um, uh, what's the other one? Dallas, you know. And so, if you like, they made shows fit in those categories. Those are the only ones that they were put producing. So, this show is very soap 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 opera esque. You know, and um, and part of it, it was supposed to be like kind of a, um, in a way that I remember they talked about it was kind of supposed to be like kind of a, not a spoof of soap operas, but kind of a send up of soap operas because they were kind of forced to make it soap opery like that. But it works though, you know. So, uh, but it's very melodramatic, you know. It, it has the, the soap opera moments, you know. And so. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, like when he brings by his bike and uh, she goes to find him and like she finds him and he's just sitting there and then they kiss and it was like so real. It was like so like, you know, over the top. I thought that was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of sex, too. Is, yeah. You know? Yeah. And okay, let's talk about this. Um, mm -hmm. There's a oh, good old Bobby. Uh, Bobby, who is on paper the boyfriend of of um, Laura Palmer, who is like I believe he's the first <laughs> suspect. He's the first suspect, uh, right? Real jerk. Mm. And um, bicycle guy James Hurley is uh, the secret boyfriend of Laura Palmer as well. And let's just say in this first episode. They don't give you anything to like uh, Bobby. <laughs> Bobby right. is a jerk off. Yes. <laughs> Big time. He's rude. Uh, he is, you know, you see kind of a gentle side with, because he's sleeping with somebody's wife. And one of the funniest scenes is uh, the wife is um, married to a truck driver and he's taking her home thinking that the truck her truck driver husband is away, you know, on the road. And then when he saw that truck in the driveway, boy, <laughs> he let her out. Yeah. What he like, let her uh, out? Like, bye. <laughs> he let her out like three blocks away, and then he he turned and sped away. Boy, he was like, he didn't want no parts. That was so funny. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was pretty funny. He 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 got the help. That was the one time you saw genuine fear. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in Bobby, you know, uh, and he's you know really confident guy so um uh let's start off with you Ren renee uh what do you think about a good old bobby you're like uh, like spot on he's a jerk but it's it's interesting like he's mad his girlfriend cheated but he's cheating and whatever right <laughs> it's like, really? right he's but, double cheating uh yeah <laughs> but it's always like i always these type of i guess scenarios in movies or shows i always wonder it, does the guy react like that if they find out their girlfriend died or was killed? And like when they first told him, 
he seemed shocked, but didn't have like a lot of emotion. But as it went on, because they were accusing him, he seemed like his emotion came out. But I don't know if that was because he was sad she died or sad or he was mad because they were accusing him. Right. Right. Yeah, he yeah, he's he's kind of a strange bird. Mm-hmm. Uh what about you, Tori? <laughs> I I thought it was funny he got locked up in the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, for the fight, right. Yeah, the fight. And that was an epic fight too. He they sure were really yeah, that was real. shit at each other. Like it was it was great. Like and he's a quintessential jock. You know, he is a stereotype. He is exactly what they want him to be. And he was very um, almost uh, not abusive, but very abrasive toward. And I could see how he was like his friend towards Laura. You know what I mean? Like kind of like pushing her around and telling her what to do and stuff like that. I think that, that he's that kind of guy. Yeah, you know, it's, it's his buddy's even worse than he is, which is hard yeah. to believe that someone can be worse. Uh, you know, you really want to see his buddy get thrown down a flight of stairs. But, um, but yeah, really jerky guy. Uh, what about you, Jen? What, what's your take on Bobby? Well, well, I don't think I can add too much to what everybody's already said. Although I will say that I feel like he was one of the best tropes that they came up with that was like so on the money uh i swear every single person that i know knows someone like this uh, it, it was just it there was something very real about this kind of character uh, while at the same time being 100 percent a trope of the jock the not even it's not even machismo that he had it's it's more than uh, or less than i should say it's it's more like um just sort of that schoolboy jealousy nastiness which is so it, it really that's one of the things that i was going to say that that this episode really did is it really made the characters come to life like by the time that you see the next episode of twin peaks you know who's who. Mm-hmm. There's no ambiguity. You don't feel like, oh yeah, wait, what, what did this guy do? What was he? You know. You totally know. So. Right, right. And then we have the uh, bark, the biker with the, a heart <laughs> made of gold. Uh, so, uh, what's your takes on? Uh, what's your take on Jen, uh, James? Uh, Jen. I I don't I don't know. I I. I feel ambiguous about this character. Um, I don't. I'm not really sure what to say about him in particular that that I feel like would be helpful. Um, because I don't. This is one character that I don't feel like had a gigantic impact in the pilot. Um, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. I think I just feel ambiguous. Isn't the right word. I feel ambivalent. I just feel a little bit ambivalent. All right, so Tori, as a, a woman who's dated many bikers, um, <laughs> uh, how does he how does he land for you as far as uh, being a biker? He's too he's too soft to be a biker, right? Like, honestly, <laughs> Tori, like, he's kind of. <laughs> I mean, he's 
he a little tough. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he he's very sensitive. Out. He made out with her. Like, why, why would you do that? Like, <laughs> I just thought that whole scene was like, what, what, what brought it on? Like, that was the night that was the, the timing was so wrong. And like, uh, he, yeah, he didn't make a big impact, but I do remember at the very end, like whenever they were in the jail and stuff, um, Bobby was like looking at him and like he had this look in his eye, like I can take both of you, you know, like <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about you, Renee? What do you think about old James? Uh, I think I guess he was just more annoying to me because like it seemed like they kept showing him when he was making those weird faces. So, <laughs> so I don't know. He's not he's not a character that stood out for me. So yeah, I don't have like you know much opinion about him. It's just like why do they keep showing his block blockhead? <laughs> That's funny. Um, that is funny. All right, so. Um, the investigation, right, uh, which is a major part of the show. Uh, before this show, once again, there, there, you really didn't get those procedural uh, FBI profiler type deals, right? This is one of the first. It might have been the first, and uh, which is very, it's very cool. You know, the whole, um, you know, looking under the nails and finding the the R and all of that kind of stuff. Um, what do you think about the investigation aspect, Jen, of the of the show? Um, okay, so this sort of gets into the meat of why I think this was successful. Um, first of all, it remember that right around this time we're starting to see more and more procedural shows that are a little bit more in depth, right, about the actual investigation process. And I know we're going to talk about it next week, but part of what made The X-Files so interesting is we get this like sneak peek behind the scenes that we sort of hadn't had before where um, the FBI and even our local law enforcement were like kind of hidden a little bit, not what we see or what we saw with like Hill Street Blues or, um, some of the other cop shows which sort of felt like okay yeah you know there's camaraderie in the police force we were actually seeing kind of like the actual investigation of stuff uh, up close and um and in a, a minutia of detail that i don't feel like we had really seen before in a way that was linear right because you might know that they did this or that they did that but we were actually seeing this, like Kinte said, you know, each each episode is like a day. It was very linear in fashion, so you really got a good chance. And here you can see he's looking underneath her fingernails, um, and he finds the letter R, I think, on the paper that's underneath her fingernails. Like, that kind of minutia of detail uh, was different and compelling and I think that that's one of the reasons that Twin Peaks became as successful as it was because people liked that. Like, what's what does the FBI actually do? What makes them any better than anybody else? Right. I, right. I kind of liked that. I mean, uh, you know, obviously it's fiction, so take it with a grain of salt. But it was still cool. Like, it was. It had that. Uh, I don't know that aura of like 
ooh, we get to see something nobody else does. This is neat. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, no, that was really cool. Um, okay. So what about you, uh, Tori? What do you feel about the investigation aspect of the pilot? Kind of, I'm going to go along the same vein. Like, I like how the profiler, this is probably like right around when FBI agents really became profilers, you know, like this is whenever they started like having the crime, uh, criminal minds type investigations and stuff like that. And I think that um, the FBI agent did a really great job at uh, showing the procedures of everything. So he's very by the book and uh, he he's, uh, he's very detail oriented, like I said before. So the plot just kind of like feeds off that like it's it's like uh the sheriff too i mean he 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 brought it in too like yeah yeah no i, I think it's uh i think that uh this you know this show oh sorry not on the screen <laughs> this show is definitely one of the forebears if, I, I i believe it probably was the the first show to start doing this doing this that whole thing with the stuff. And then also, I gotta show this. Um, I don't know if, it, does any of the ladies smoke? Yes, I do. No. I no. did not realize this is a way to find out if your woman's cheating on you, is to- uh, <laughs> Brain is <laughs> correct. God dang, this guy, talk about abusive. Oh my uh, gosh. Yeah, he was crazy. Yes, he, he was like, uh, he was going through the butts <laughs> in the ashtray looking for another. Olaf, this guy was looking for an, an, another brand to see if there was a, a guy that, because he's a truck driver, so he's away. Right. To see, and he was looking for. Um, well, yeah, I mean, if, if, he, if he smokes camels and he's seeing Marlboros in the ashtray, he knows somebody else been there. <laughs> hey, right. <laughs> Which uh, I was like, geez. And then she had a great comeback, though. She goes, oh, I just pick up whatever. Yeah. <laughs> she's a collector. Yeah. She's like, yeah. Oh, at the diner, I, mean, I just pick up whatever, you know, is there. An equal opportunity smoker. <laughs> and then, and then he said. Could have been her mom. Right. That, or, of course, a lady wouldn't smoke. It had to be a guy. Well, <laughs> no, it's she, like, but he could. She could have just said, well, I just smoke OPs. OPs or other people. Other people. So. <laughs> yeah. But then, he, then he said, from now on, you're going to only smoke only. one brand. <laughs> but not which one. He didn't say which one. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh. I, yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I don't want to ruin too much, but uh, <laughs> let's just say going forward, um, yeah, he doesn't become, he does, you're not going to like him any much more going forward. He doesn't endear himself to us at all. No. Yeah. Yeah, you know, which is uh, funny. Now, another thing I have to say is when we have our indie radio summit, I want our uh, table to be yeah. set up just like this. I love it. I love the donut stack. <laughs> this, okay. Who, who are these feeding? I got, I, got, I got a comment on this. Okay, first of all, 
<laughs> First of all, this scene is so <laughs> weirdly David Lynch. Like, I can just imagine that... I, I can imagine the set direction for this. I can also imagine picking up the piece of paper as the um, as as the uh, set decorator and going, oh, wait, what? <laughs> I mean, like, I can literally hear this in my head. But secondly, um, mm -hmm. these two guys represent <laughs> different spectrums of control. And mm. this scene reminds us how absolutely in control of everything they are down to this like it just it's such a perfect kind of visual metaphor for the level of detail and 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 control that they have it i i loved this i absolutely love this and also i am so all for the summit let's do it I yes. don't see anything wrong with well, how the table sits. Looks fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to know who the hell are they feeding? Like, All right. All right. And, and for those who are listening and they can't see the visual, um, is uh, they're in the conference table at the at the police station, and uh, the uh, receptionist has laid out donuts for all the uh, the um, police officers in uh, Dale Cooper. And the way that she has it stacked is uh, she has it. I mean, I've never seen this ever <laughs> in her life. She has two donuts on top of each other of the or same bagels. kind. <laughs> and uh, yeah. are they, I think they're all donuts. Yeah, they're all the ones donuts. on the end, I'm not. Oh, I'm the not very sure. end. Oh, yeah. That's that's no, those those are, are cinnamon rolls. Oh, okay. Yes. Oh, yeah. They just and look it, big. <laughs> yes. And it's like formed in, uh, in two rows. Well, there's a third <laughs> row right there. And it is like the perfect meat. Like you know what? From now on, I think that's how I'm gonna I'm gonna get a dozen, and that's how I'm gonna just lay oh them out God. like that. <laughs> and, and they're gonna and who and some people will catch the reference, and other people will look at me like I'm strange. So even those who um, catch the reference might look at me like I'm strange. So this is this this was the precursor to the way that they set up the taco tables. It's just they happen to use donuts this time. Right, right, right. I know, but my OCD would be like, why is the food just out in the open? I would like, That's true. Why? That is the, so, that the, is the, the drawback. The reception. Right by the telephone. The right by the telephone, like, uh. No, no. Back then, that's what they did. I know. It didn't yeah, matter. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't know. They didn't know back then. Yeah. There were no way. There were, in 1990, there was no germ. There was no germs. <laughs> no germs. Right. No germs in 90? What are you talking no about? No cross-contamination or anything like <laughs> right. that. Now, you say the receptionist set that out? Right. Lucy, okay. Yeah, she, she's a little OCD because in the beginning, you know, she said she was transferring the call. In the, it's going to the black phone next yeah. to the red chair yeah. and the other one where I'm like... Not in the corner, but over not, here. Yeah, yeah I'm like... Who I think did. it was to demonstrate that she talks way too much. Like, <laughs> yeah, because he even told her before he left. Now this stays between us, or whatever he said. Yeah. I said oh, she must gossip to everybody. Right. But she was looking like, wait, I can't wait till he but, gets out the room so I can call somebody. Now, it's like so when she was explaining about the phone, three words came to mind for to me. It's like, shut up, Rose. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that was one of the uh, the cool moments on, in the in the sea of cool moments, and um, 
and then you know also uh we have the jail scene where uh the chant the dog chant yeah what the hell to- was that, was that? <laughs> that was so weird yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah great scene i mean it's, it's so full of great stuff and you know what was so great about it it's so many characters and in the first episode, they do a great job of establishing all of these characters in such a uh, in a cool way. And if you know, knowing how it goes, they do a you know a pretty good job of um, of giving you what what you're going to get and really establishing it. Now, um, there's so many more characters that we could talk about and focus on, um, but there's one character that, and I'm trying to pull up an image uh, and I think that was Lucy I should have probably give you a quick piece of Lucy um okay let me come on there we go <laughs> oh my gosh oh my I patched lady with the drapes <laughs> I, 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 I that's all I call her First of all, this actress is awesome. She uh, and it's funny though. If you guys ever seen the movie, The People Under the Stairs, yeah. uh, yes. her and her husband on this play a couple in that movie. Uh, they play, you know, the villains of the movie, and um, she's awesome. She's an awesome character. She's very weird, and um, there's a whole story too about how she got the eye patch. I won't ruin it for those who may want to continue watching. But um, but uh, yes, uh, and she's obsessed with drapes, and she wants to make a set of drapes where there's no sound. And <laughs> literally through the whole series, she's that's her main focus is trying to figure out. Oh you my know. gosh! <laughs> and um, and then you know uh, her husband's having an affair with Peggy Lipton uh, on the on the show. You know, so uh, let me see. Here we go. This the husband right here. So, uh, but um, yeah, they played a couple in, in um, the movie, which I think came out maybe two years after Twin Peaks. So, you know, they got cast together. But, um, but um, yeah. So, um, before we, we before we go, um, I want to go to Jen. Was there any uh, last things you want to um, talk about? I, I, you know, I, I think the only thing that I wanted to say in closing is um, the, the. Twin Peaks set up uh, a very interesting age or kicked off a very interesting age in television where people suddenly saw the success of Twin Peaks and said, hmm, you know, maybe there's something to this. And there was a lot of experimentation in television after this. Some of it succeeded and some of it didn't. Um, But I really credit Twin Peaks with making studio execs see that there was an opportunity for something a little bit different than just mainstream um, network television. Uh, and I, I really, really give this show a lot of that credit. This pilot really drew in a lot of uh, Oh, you're underwater. Today. Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. It, it continues to hold up really well today. Yes, yes, yes. And just as some background, Twin Peaks was huge. It, it was, was it was very big. It uh, got very high ratings. It it actually started a national 
obsession about it was who killed Laura Palmer. You know, right. at the same time, there was a who shot Jr. But then it was who killed Laura Palmer, and people were obsessed with knowing the answer to it. And I will tell you, I'm going to actually tell you who killed Laura Palmer. You better not. I am. I'm going to tell you. It, it was the Wolfman. But uh, <laughs> no, 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 I'm kidding. It was but, the uh, log lady. It was the, the log, log lady. lady. Yeah, we only I, got a I, little I, log lady. Log. I saw her. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, but um. Uh, so I, I got, I'll tell you just a quick story about the show. So the intent by Mark Frost and um, David Lynch was that they would not really tell you who killed Laura Palmer, that in fact, you wouldn't find out till maybe several seasons. They just wanted that to be the kind of overarching storyline and it would start to fade in the background as there's other plot lines that you know become more important and what happened was abc was getting like letters like we want to know who killed laura palmer and all this stuff so they were literally forced to answer the question early earlier than they had intended and what happened was once they answered that question the show fell off of a cliff and it was one of those those um it was one of those uh, things where it became a cautionary tale. Like, uh, like I'll give you an example. Before Twin Peaks on ABC, there was a show called Moonlighting, and we have to do that pilot. Oh, uh, yeah. And, um, and the big thing on that show was David and um, Maddie, uh, everybody wanted them to get together, right? And, they, and it was, they held off, they held off, and they held off, and then they finally gave people what they asked for, David, spoiler alert, David and Maddie hooked up and the show was never mm-hmm. the same after that and people mm-hmm. lost interest. So that whole unrequited love thing, you know, they stretched out. I, you could tell like Frazier uh, saw the David and Maddie thing and how they fell apart because they kept the uh, uh, Niles and um, what's the Daphne? Daphne, yeah. They kept them like, it must have been like 13 seasons before they hooked up. <laughs> It was yeah. like the show was damn near over. Oh, right, they yeah. finally it, right? So, so, um, but, um, so that was, you know, they, it was one of their big regrets that they revealed who the killer was um, earlier than they had intended to. And that kind of been like this thing that other creators remembered is like, okay, we're not going to be like, you know, Twin Peaks where they were forced to do it, you know. So, but it's one of those, uh, those things, but uh the show lasted like i said for two seasons and then it went off the air and then uh in 2017 they brought it back for a third season on showtime and that season was awesome it was definitely not what i think some fans wanted because it a lot of the show didn't even take place in twin peaks uh and if you know david lynch you knew he wasn't going to just do what you want him to do, right? He's not that guy. And I thought what he gave us was amazing, even though there were some fans that were disappointed because they wanted, they were looking for something. They were looking for more nostalgia, and he wasn't really giving nostalgia in no. it. But he, what he gave was brilliant. It was so brilliant. And, um, I, and uh, but, you know, uh, but one thing that was interesting is, and I'm not spoiling it, uh in the finale of 
Twin Peaks, the year this is the original finale in season two. Uh, Dale Cooper sometimes gets visions of Laura Palmer talking to him in the uh, red room, they call it. And she says to him, in something like in 25 years, you know, something will be revealed to you or something to that effect. I can't remember the exact quote. And when they got the go ahead to, you know, by Showtime to bring back Twin Peaks for season three, and they were, they went back and they, they rewatched the whole show to get ready to do it. And when they did it, they realized that it was going to actually match what they put in the finale that it was 25 years later. Right. Which was, uh, and they, and they, cause people were, people were going like, wait a minute, did you guys plan it like this? And they were like, no, nah, it just happened like that. You know, that something they said in the finale 25 years later, that 25 years later, that they said they weren't sitting there waiting for 25 years to do, to do it. It just worked out that way. So I thought that was one of those cool little uh, stories about the show, but so did, uh-huh. did, did you know that I, I've seen, I've heard from a number of different people, especially people that now sort of consider Twin Peaks to be like, you know, a cult favorite, right? Um, uh, who watched Twin Peaks by getting it on DVD. Right. Did you know that the pilot wasn't actually a part of the DVD collection at first? It wasn't, no, yeah. because That's so there. weird. No, because it because they had, they had to sell it to like another company and they had the rights. And yeah, it was like a whole rights thing, but yeah. That's yeah. crazy. So a lot of people who watched Twin Peaks originally from just DVD didn't get to see the pilot. So they just started out with episode one. And how much did would you have missed if you didn't see the pilot first? Yeah. yeah. Like a lot. Yeah. But you know what they probably should have done was they should have had a song like Gilligan's Island to to tell you, <laughs> yeah, you know, so, so you don't miss anything. Yeah, then, you, then you don't even need to see the pilot. We we, you know? we can title it "The Murder of Laura." We can just right. go through, you know, each individual person. Yeah, tell here's a tale of a girl who washed up on the shore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, but um, but yeah, things that came out of this show was a damn fine coffee uh that was a line that dale cooper would say all the time and he would always eat his pie and uh you also had um you know oh david lynch was a character on the show he's an fbi agent oh yeah and, that's right yeah he was uh, a character on the show as well as you had the red room you had the uh the midget I, i'm so sorry i can't think of the guy the character's name uh who would always dance he would always be dancing in the red room uh the, the dwarf guy. And unfortunately, he fell out with David Lynch. And I'm not going to go into that because it's pretty uh, jacked up, the whole that whole saga. But um, but uh, that's why he wasn't in the revival, uh, the, the dwarf guy. And then, um, but uh, it was so much goodness in this show. And I'm glad that we were able to, get, to cover it. So, all right. So let's go to uh, Tori. How can we get you in social media and all that great stuff? You can get me uh, every Friday night at 9 p.m. for my show, The Infectious Geek. That's about all things nerdy and pop culture-y. So please stay tuned for that. You can look it up on my um, Facebook or my YouTube channel. And um, 
I do a, a show every Thursday night with Jen called the Movie Potluck, where we uh, review a movie and then we pick our sides, our food to bring along. <laughs> and it's really fun. So look forward to seeing you viewers there. All right. And that was Tori with the glory. Uh, Jen, <laughs> who always wins. <laughs> and also, just so just so you know, we are doing uh, under the sea. So under the sea. So Yay. if you have a favorite under the sea movie, um, I can almost guarantee that we will probably touch on it because this is one of my favorite genres. Um, we're gonna do Kinte's favorite, uh, The Shape of Water. So oh Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you can find me. You can find me at my website, moviesandmeals.com, and I promise I won't torment Kinte any longer. Uh, yeah, you will. <laughs> on, the, on the air, I won't. Oh, okay. okay. Renee, how can we get you in social media and all You're that? You're my place? pencil writes because my pencil writes, <laughs> editor, writer, all that. Yeah, but this this is fun. Thank you again for having uh, me. Are you going to help me set up the um, the donuts like that for our summit? Um, <laughs> as long as they're covered, sure. <laughs> uh, that's her addendum to it, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, Olaf, how can we get you in social media and all that good stuff? Uh, well, you can follow me on Facebook at Olaf Barbosa. Just don't follow too close because I do get nervous and I do have an itchy trinker finger. <laughs> all right. All right, and y'all need to help me with, find something that rhymes with Olaf. Just, just okay. ask him if he wants to build a snowman. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> or, no, wait, o Olaf, Olaf will help you get the mole off. No, <laughs> no. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. No, we'll keep working on it. We'll I'm a good rhymer too. I'm a good yeah, it's like, it's like okay, it's like we'll that's work he, 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 yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You need to work on that a little bit. Poor, poor Olaf. <laughs> Olaf will Good try. Tear, Good try, this, tear your soul off. I don't mm, know. Oh, uh, gosh. Like, you about... <laughs> that, that, maybe I should, you know what? We're getting closer. Yeah, we're going to get it. We're going to get it. <laughs> and you can get me at Kente F on Twitter, Kente Ferguson at uh, Instagram. And of course, the website is theindyradio.com. That's the I-N-D-Y radio cool. <laughs> okay. Next week, we will be joined by the Bundys. Uh, we're going to be doing Married with Children, as well as uh, we'll be joined by Mulder and Scully doing uh, the X-Files. So the truth is out there. <laughs> All right. Tr and trust no one. Trust no one. Trust no one. So uh, you guys have a good one and God bless. Stay safe.